Welcome to our third segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday the 10th of October. It is now 2.22 uh, in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Good afternoon. Um, we wish to discuss on this segment how reliant we have become on social media applications for our day-to-day -day communications, uh, for finding peer networks, for socializing virtually on different topics and issues, and for expressing our views and our identity to others through a virtual persona. Uh, this, of course, of course, sorry, uh, comes with the uh, drawbacks of how virtual space allows us to interact and how over time it cultures our habits, our norms, and our expectations. Uh, recently, Facebook, the company, experienced a severe and prolonged service outage which affected Facebook users, WhatsApp users, and Instagram users. It brought to mind the extent to which these apps, amongst many others, uh, have become, for many, the norm of day-to-day -day communication and virtual socialization. Uh, at the same time, headlines in North American media have been focused on a former employee of Facebook uh, who discussed the view that the platform is too open to harmful content and harmful activity and has a deriding effect on democratic societies, assumedly through its openness to being manipulated through misinformation and uh, targeted campaigns which rely on its trove of data. Um, the mental health and psychological impact of social media use, uh, particularly on young people, was also a news topic coming out of that employee's public uh, testimony. Uh, so on this segment, as I said, we'll ask how is social media redefining modern society and how can we respond to its harms. Um, joining us for this discussion, we're happy to have with us Mrs. Therese Millet-Joseph. Uh, she is a counseling psychologist uh, originally from Antigua. She's been working in the field for the past 16 years. Uh, over the span of her career, her duties have included professional and curriculum development, human resource management, advocacy work, lecturers, lecturers, Sorry, workshops, seminars, and therapeutic services. She's currently a practicing psychotherapist in central New York and a doctoral student pursuing a PhD. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mrs. Therese Millet-Joseph. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Karen. I am well, and how are you doing? I am absolutely fantastic. The show has um, not encountered too many technical hurdles so far, so that's a good day as far as Sundays go. Um, we have as well with us Miss Marisha Duncan. Uh, she is currently enrolled at the University of the West Indies St. Augustine campus, pursuing a, a Doctor of Philosophy in Cultural Studies. Uh, she has a keen interest in Caribbean language, culture, representation, identity, and natural black hair. Uh, her love for Caribbean culture led her to complete a Master of Arts in Cultural Studies, uh, where her research focused on women, representation, identity, and Trinidad Carnival. Uh, good afternoon to you, Miss Marisha Duncan. We're happy to have you with us. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Mr. Murdoch. I'm happy to be here. Uh, we are joined by Miss Robin Nathaniel. Uh, haven't had her on the program in quite some time, but I was able to get her on this time. She is a teacher here in Antigua and Barbuda. We're happy to have her with us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Miss Robin Nathaniel, and how are you doing? I'm well, thanks, and I'm so glad to be here this time around. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we're joined by Mr. Curtis Omar Byron, uh, better just known as Omar Byron. Uh, he is an Antiguan and Barbudan. He is an information technology and finance professional working in the United States. Uh, he's also a violinist known by his stage name, Wadadley Strings. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Byron, and uh, how are you doing? Uh, good afternoon, Kieran. Um, I'm doing well. Happy to be here. 
Uh, well, I'll just I'll go around the panel just to ask each person, and I, I, I perhaps I'll begin with uh, with uh, you, Miss Miss Millet Joseph, uh, Mrs. Millet Joseph. Sorry. Um, to what extent do you think that society has become uh, really dependent on the various social media applications that we use? Um, I don't know if you were personally affected by the the outage that Facebook had earlier uh, last week, but uh, your view on just how much we we are connected and rely on social media. Yes, I was most definitely affected. Um, I think we all were. Um, we are all on, on one of the platforms that, that uh, completely uh, went down uh, for several hours the other day, Facebook, Instagram, um, and um, WhatsApp. Uh, I specifically use WhatsApp because I, as you know, I live abroad and I communicate with my family in Antigua mainly on that uh, on that platform. So um, that was indeed a blow for me <laughs> for a little while. Um, uh, but regarding the impact and, and how far reaching the impact of social social media is in general, um, I am going to say that it is it's extremely far reaching. I, I did a little research in preparation for today's program um, and came across a very interesting study that was conducted um, in the UK. And in the UK, they polled uh, 2000 adults. Um, well, young people and adults, they were between the ages of 15 to 24, um, who are all on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, and um, a variety of other social media platforms. And they found that on average, these people are checking their posts from friends and their families and, and you know, celebrities that they follow as well, a whopping 30 times per day minimum that is the minimum that was literally the lowest number that showed up so there are persons who are checking 40 50 times a day um just checking to see what is happening um and so that i think is really a staggering statistic uh to think about and from the perspective of a clinician, um, I can also tell you that social media addiction is absolutely a thing. It is something that psychologists actually are very interested in, particularly in the times in which we live. Um, and so being a psychologist myself, this is something that I have, um, at, you know, periodically uh, during the course of my career have, you know, looked into, read about, maybe wrote about as well. Um, and while the majority of people using social media do not have social media addiction, you know, um, there is a small percentage of users that do become addicted to social networking sites and that engage in excessive or compulsive use. And um, they estimate that an approximate 10 percent of Americans uh, meet the criteria for what we refer to as social media addiction today. Um, and while 10% might sound like a very small number, um, when you consider the fact that you are addicted to the device that is in your hand, it is that that is that is that is really something to um, to pause and pay attention to, and the numbers are not likely to decrease, but rather increase because our um, our, our technology keeps keeps getting more and more advanced and there are more and more devices to get attached to. And so we're not looking at decreasing numbers. We're looking at a high likelihood that this 10% could turn into 15 or 20%, maybe in the next uh, five to 10 years. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, Ms. Robin Nathaniel, um, curious for your take, the outage, how that, um, well, how it affected you and, 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 and what, what, what reflections you have since. Well, um, interestingly, and I think uh, quite a number of people also found themselves um, blaming uh, probably our local um, <laughs> mobile network providers um, during that time. And I call it the, the social media triad. It was the triad that went down. Um, to be to be quite honest, I think that um, it really allowed us to. And and I I looked interestingly again. I looked on social media after uh, we got back. You know, con- connection and it really gave a lot of people things to talk about in terms of us really understanding just how much. Um, social media platforms has, has given us the ability to connect with people um, throughout the world, um, just how important it is. But um, like Mrs. Millet Joseph just said, how addictive it can be. Um, and so I, I think that this discussion is, is coming at a very important time, especially as an educator, um, knowing that a lot of what we're doing right now is being done on tech um, using technological uh, platforms and teachers are trying to use social media platforms to kind of bridge realities with the content that they're teaching and their own realities and so i mean a discussion about whether or not we're really over reliant on social media is pretty important now especially considering um how much some so many of us were affected I think it was last um, um, Thursday, um, like Mrs. Joseph Millet, Millet Joseph, sorry, said, uh, although I live here, I have a, a sister who lives abroad and she, you know, wants to hear my daily updates about her niece and stuff like that. And so for a while, we couldn't communicate with each other. And so, yeah, it really, it really brought to light just how much we have allowed <laughs> social media to take so much time from us. You know, time that we could have spent doing other things, um, we use social media. And of course, with everything, there's good and bad. But of course, yeah, it did affect me um, in a very interesting way. Uh, and, and coming to you, Miss uh, Marisha Duncan, uh, w- when we talk about over-reliance, I've, I've, heard, the, I've heard the comment that um, uh, there's, no, there's no other trajectory in which we can go. Uh, that the modern age is an age of information technology uh, and that social uh, 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 networking applications are only going to continue to become more and more uh, total and the norm. Uh, so that in, in a sense of over-reliance, you know, th- there's, no, there's no backward to go. We, we, there's, no, there's no way we can take away that reliance. They, they are the norm now. What, what do you think? I fully agree with that statement. Just the statistics that emerge with over 3.5 billion users of of social media network representing roughly 48% of the population. I think the hallmark of social media is about increase. And it's about increase because we live in a digital world and we utilize social media not only to communicate as well as socialize but social media has become an investment of businesses, small businesses. I read that over six billion in revenue was lost because of this outage that occurred on the 4th of October. 
Within five hours, over $6 billion in lost revenue occurred. So the question is not that we are moving towards um, this increase in social media, but it's at what rate? What rate in terms of the users? The user metrics point to Gen Z as well as millennials being the highest numbers. But I can see the numbers of social media users expanding. I have a four-year-old nephew who he is able to call me on his tablet. On his, on his tablet, there's a, there's a SIM card and he understands WhatsApp. He understands that social media platform. He utilizes YouTube for his recreation time, his downtime. And he's able to manipulate as well as to log on to these sites. So the question really shouldn't be about if it will increase, it's at what rate it will increase. And I think the rate that it will increase would be so um, substantial that we really have no choice but to accept that social media is here to stay. Yes. Uh, Mr. Omar Byron, um, I would bring you into the discussion. I would ask you if you think perhaps we uh, rely too much on a few major platforms, uh, whether or not that is a concern that many people have, uh, whether you would, you would think of it that way or, or if you think that the question of being over-reliant um, doesn't compute. Um, I will say this, that and this is maybe a different way of looking at it, but if you're thinking about the relative proportion that um, the traders, um, Robin put it, you know, you think your Twitters of the world, you think your YouTubes of the world, um, the percentage or the market share that they have of the overall social media population, you can kind of start to see a monopoly of sorts that's happening. Um, and what that means is that um, these platforms are now the de facto forums for um, any type of issue you want to think about, right? Um, and that, of course, gives these companies disproportionate power. Um, I know there are a lot of conversations, particularly here in the U.S., in terms of how much influence these um, platforms can have over, I mean, you think, like defense or elections and so on. Um, and the need to regulate them, right? Um, and of course, you can extend that to basically any other country in the world. There may be notable exceptions in places like China where you know Facebook and Instagram don't have as big of a market share. But you know, when you think about us in Antigua and Barbuda, a lot of the public discourse and opinion sharing and even government policy is shared over Facebook, right? Um, done on one particular platform. So one can say that definitely they've taken over in all aspects of lives. Um, I would think from more of a, from a microcosm perspective or an individual perspective, I think in our day-to-day -day lives, we probably have relied a little bit too much on social media. I can speak for myself that, you know, to the question of whether the outage had affected me. Um, I can't really say that much because I've stopped using Facebook a long time ago. Um, Instagram, I recently actually taken off of my phone because I realized that I was addicted to it, right? And then that kind of left WhatsApp where it was kind of weird not seeing the messages coming all the time. So I think this is an interesting time in our lives and it does give us time to pause and reflect, you know, the relationship that we have with social media. Well, very, very quickly, Mr. Byron, let me ask you, I know a lot of people say that, that they, they got off Facebook because they, they said they couldn't take it anymore. Um, briefly, why did you yeah. get off of Facebook? Um, a couple of reasons. I think several years ago, there was a definitive change in the algorithm, right? So there was a time where Facebook, Instagram, especially, where there would be what they call chronological updates, right? So uh, person X and Y post at different times, a person X posts now, right? 
and person Y posted an hour ago, you would see you know, person Y then person X. What's happened now is that the algorithm shifted so that you're now getting to see the same people and over and over because the algorithm is tracking what you like, what it is you view and so on. Um, and it's curating a timeline specifically for you. What I meant is that I'm now seeing people that I may have interacted with in the past and I'm now seeing their opinions over and over. Um, I think the flip side to that as well is that Facebook has, I'm now also seeing random posts of people just being angry at each other and sharing, you know, quite frankly, content I don't find appealing. Um, but it's doing that because they think that is what is going to draw my particular eyeballs and keep me scrolling for hours and then. So that's that's why I've particularly gotten off Facebook. Um, and I think the media in and of itself does not attract me, you know, at this particular point in my life. Uh, coming back to you, Mrs. Therese Millet-Joseph, um, social media and family life, uh, how we interact with our, our, our family and our, our friends, how has that changed uh, through our ability to network using media? Um, what have been the, the, the ups and downs? Okay, um, there are so many that I could, that I could share here. Um, I think... Um, that definitely communication has been impacted that that is probably the 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 one that will um be at the top of everyone's list um there is something that is unique and insightful when people meet face to face and they can read one another's body language um that social media communication is eliminating for a lot of people um i think we are all aware that communication um has a variety of components and once one component is the the words that's just that's only one small component of your communication your communication is made up of so much more than that your facial expressions your gestures your body language all of these things are significant parts of communication and these are parts that are missed when you are speaking to someone using your um an app on your phone um, and so when we speak in person, um, there are verbal and nonverbal cues that help to convey a point, body language, eye contact, tone of voice, your behavior, um, you know, all of these things help to increase understanding. And these things are stripped away uh, because we spend far more time communicating on, um, on our phones and our other devices than we do in person. Um, and this this one has an impact on several other areas of our lives it it impacts our ability to uh to resolve conflict for example uh, many people are challenged um you know where this particular social skill is concerned because we no longer really feel that we need to develop this social skill because most of the time when we are attacking someone we are doing it using our app uh, and there's a certain level of comfort when you're communicating through social media that you, you you know it makes you feel a little bit more protected from the person's reaction and so that protective distance helps people to feel more comfortable when they're communicating in a tense situation but when they're faced with that same conflict in person um because they have so little experience in conflict resolution, their ability to communicate clearly when they're under that type of pressure is becoming less 
and, and, and less available to them. Um, and this is true of people of all ages. And then, of course, there's also the issue of accountability. I think that this is a very big one for us. Um, it's much easier for most of us to say something uh, derogatory, uh, something uh, that, that challenges somebody else's point of view when we do not have to say it out loud to the person's face. And so social media provides that space where people feel protected from another person's reaction. And, uh, and this seems to be a pattern nowadays where people get on social media i think we call them keyboard bullies uh, i've heard other terms being used to describe them uh, where they get on social media and they make statements to others that they would never make to that person's face and so the problem with this type of communication is that one it is normalizing aggressive behavior um, between human beings and secondly it is eliminating all of the accountability that you would have been held to if you if you tried this if you were in the person's presence. Um, and so all of these are things that are showing up um, in, in our interactions with our family members, with our friends, with our loved ones, uh, co-workers, um, all of these issues um, are, are popping up. And I think there's one other thing I would like to throw in very quickly, and that is the fact that um, constant communication on social media also um, increases our, our, our need for instant gratification because you know when you send a message there's there's this immediacy that 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 is applied there you know you know the person is it doesn't matter if they're in china you can say what you need to say and you can say it immediately and so patience and persistence and all of these other qualities that people are supposed to develop are kind of not as needed um you know if that is uh, you, have to, you have to break the cycle <laughs> an appropriate thing leave to them say. on scene yeah, it's, it's almost as if you don't really need to, to, to cultivate patience and persistence these days because everything is instant. Everything is in the palm of your hands. And I think social media is creating a greater need for instant gratification and for an instant reaction and an instant response and, and all of this immediacy. Um, and so I think that also really challenges people when they are communicating with someone in person. It really is just kind of uh, disabling our communication skills to a large extent, I think. Um, if I could bring back in Mrs. Robin, Joseph Nathaniel, uh, just to ask you, um, your, for your perspective as a teacher working with young people and the issue of some of the harms that we see with social media and uh, Mrs. Therese Miller-Joseph just mentioned them, uh, a particular group of harms uh, about attacking people, bullying, uh, being a troll, if you will, uh, and, and how that can impact particularly young, I mean, it impacts everyone, but particularly young people. Um, your views on that subject of the, the harms of bullying online, being attacked, um, negative things being said, posted, done, uh, negative ideas. Um, your take? Well, of course, um, the thing about, and, and we can probably, if we were to focus um, solely on, on Facebook, um, but just social media in general, there's no referee. There's nobody to, to, to give anybody a red card or to pull anybody aside when um, things that are said or done um, are really uh, dangerous. As a, as an educator um, and as somebody who interacts with social media myself, because there is no referee, because there's no one really to hold anybody accountable, 
um, it really provides a place for cyberbullying. It really provides a place where, you know, you say whatever you want to say and nobody really holds you to it. And I think that young people who are impressionable, young people who have, have not yet developed um, rational thought, I... I know I heard uh, years ago that, that the human brain is fully developed at 25. And so you can imagine um, 16 year olds, 17 year olds, um, 13 year olds um, going on social media and being bullied, um, going on social media and seeing offensive images and messages um, and, and not really being able to um, get the skills that they need to counteract it. Um, and a lot of, in a lot of cases to um, Mr. Murdoch, social media has become a babysitter where our children are just allowed to roam um, the, 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 the roads and the, the highways of, of Facebook and Instagram. And so they're constantly being fed um, offensive messages and images. And it's only until there is some breaking point or there is only until something very significant takes place that we are aware that these things are are, are happening and so um there there are so many negative um things that we can say about social media however i just want to add this quickly um last week um, with my students we were talking about social media because we were going through essay writing and whatnot and i just asked them tell me anything you want to tell me about social media i was just using it as a foundation and most of them did not highlight the negative um impacts most of them spoke about brand building and i was really impressed uh, there was one particular a student who even spoke about um building awareness to social issues you know um issues like black lives matter and things like that so i mean our young people are really aware of social media they are um, at risk of some of the things that we would have indicated, the cyberbullying, the offensive messages, but they're also aware of the, the advantages. And so it just means that, I guess, if there's no real referee on the social media platforms, then as teachers, as educators, as parents, then our role has to be a little bit greater to help them navigate um, what is going to be their lives because we don't see any changes to 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 um, the impact of social media anytime soon. Um, I, I come to you, Ms. Marisha Duncan. Uh, another note about the the possible harms of social media. It's often talked about uh, for those platforms that focus on images, sharing videos, images, and so on, like Instagram, TikTok, other things like that. Uh, you, you do have this sort of perfect aesthetic. Uh, or, or, or different versions of a perfect aesthetic that is often uh, portrayed that gives people a, a, a warped sense of what their image should be. Um, what are your thoughts on, 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 on that sort of harm? I think that sort of harm is very consequential to how people form identity. We have Francis Hughes, a former project manager of Facebook, recently revealing to Congress that Instagram is curated to affect young girls. And the high volume of young users of Instagram, it's a, a photo um, app where you share images and visual, visual content. I think that brings a lot into question. 
and especially for persons within the Caribbean, persons who are often marginalized for black and brown girls, that raises issues concerning our bodies, concerning our hair, concerning our facial features. So that need to curate and to really look at what Instagram, for example, offers i think it's important and i think it's it, it must be where we we analyze the privacy um aspect of these sites are we giving out information are we allowing ourselves our personal information to be to be you know collected by these sites and what is in turn the reward i hear miss um nathaniel stating that the her students have seen social media as being positive social media has many positive sides to it but when we look at the information that is emerging from whistleblowers such as Mrs. Hugan, we see that the effect on the young minors, as well as in terms of how they conceive ideas of themselves, it's very harmful, it's very dangerous, and big tech is aware of these things, but it's always profit over everything else. And with that, and our need to always engage with the mental health of, of teenagers, I think it's important that we look at how social networking sites are built and how they are invested to really create images, stereotypical images, and to have these images at the forefront and what these images do. I think um, those are important um, thought-provoking things that we in the Caribbean must be invested into. Who are the mentors? Who are the influencers? Um, what are the major sites that we consume? All of these are important when we engage with conversations on social media and social networking sites. Uh, and Mr. Omar Byron, uh, Ms. Marisha Duncan just mentioned an interesting thing there when it comes to social media, especially Facebook. It's often uh, discussed just how much personal information they capture. I want to ask you whether or not you are concerned at all about uh, just uh, the risk involved in how much personal information we tend to share with these sites, particularly a site like Facebook that tends to capture you know, pictures, videos, audio, comments, your location, your product choices, all your preferences across a various number of themes and things. Uh, over time and makes that information often available in terms of how it processes uh, advertising and in terms of how it, it, it determines uh, uh, where to send this ad, that ad, uh, or makes it available uh, to, 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 to someone else in, in some different form or capacity. Yeah, yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And I will say that maybe not so much our culture in Antigua and Barbie and the Caribbean, um, but the, the whole idea of data breaches, hacking, of any type of major company is actually a huge concern, um, especially in the U.S., uh, because we have shifted a lot of our business and our life to being online. To your point, a lot of the information that's being tracked is also being online as well, right? Um, but what this means is that the, we're now asking or putting faith in these companies to um, secure our data in the right way. Um, and if they don't, then we also suffer the the consequences, right? So if you think your picture, your your birth date, um, where you live, and then maybe one or two other pieces of identity, um, you can be subject to identity theft, right? Um, I think right now a lot of folks in the Caribbean are suffering from constant um, messages from scammers, right? So people who would WhatsApp you saying you've won some prize or maybe, you know, we want you to join Forex and they get you to send personal information. Well, that starts from your number being posted somewhere. And because you agree to um, a terms and conditions where you could they could sell that number to a third party, 
then that now becomes a chain where anyone can now access or your your information and do that for devious things. So another flip side to this conversation, not only just in terms of putting yourself out there, but you, you can also run the risk of having serious problems with your personal life um, if and when your data will be hacked or accessed. Hope that answered the question. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Mr. Reyes Miller-Joseph, uh, yeah. a, a broad question, uh, Mrs. Reyes Miller-Joseph, about the, and we have touched on it, so I say I'm, I'm being more broad now, we have touched on the, the mental health uh, uh, issues that can present themselves with social media and social media addiction. Um, I would ask how we can mitigate against those things. And I wonder whether or not there's, I mean, we, we often focus a lot on young people. Uh, is there any uh, particular reason that we focus on young people when we talk about the harms of social media from a mental health perspective? Absolutely. Um, there is a definite reason why we focus on young people. They are um, the, the, the portion of the population that is um, most likely to be a user or become addicted to social media, um, particularly um, those persons who would fall into those categories that we refer to as um, Gen Z and um, and the millennials or Gen Y. And well, there's another category that has been recently added, the Generation A, who they say are people born after 2012. Don't know how common that is now. Um, but these are the people who are most um who are most likely to find themselves falling into a situation where they are addicted to social media or being heavily um, impacted by social media. And the reason for this uh, is what Mrs. Nathaniel mentioned earlier, and that is the fact that their brains are still under development. Um, and so overuse of social networking sites is more prob problematic in children and young adults because their brains and their social skills are still developing. Um, you know, re research, um, has actually proven, as um, as Ms. Nathaniel mentioned earlier, that the complete development of the human brain does not happen until one would have arrived at around age 25. Um, and that is not to say that, you know, that that before age 25 that you're not able uh, to, to properly navigate your life. It just suggests that your brain is more vulnerable at that point because it is still in a developmental phase and that is really important. And so that is the reason why a lot of the focus is placed on um, on children and I would, I would like to include young adults in that group as well. So children, adolescents and young adults, um, I, I throw them into that category as well. So anybody all the way up to age 24, 25 uh, is definitely um, high risk. I would go around the panel now because we are we do have about just four four to five minutes left. I would go around the panel just to ask one final question. I wish we did have more time, but that final question would be, and I'll start off with Miss um, Mrs. Robin Joseph Nathaniel. Uh, in terms of regulation, social media. In terms of regulation, we often hear of regulatory. Uh, battles and, and renewals taking place in North America, United States, Canada, the EU, all, all have their own regulatory regimes as to how they approach uh, companies like Facebook, a lot, a lot of these big tech companies, as to how they manage people's personal data, uh, as to how they police their virtual environment uh, in, in respect of children, in respect of harmful content. Um, uh, and we generally see a more proactive approach to that sort of thing in the first world, where they have uh, much more... Uh, uh, rigorously developed regimes for doing such things and where these companies are actually based so uh yeah but for uh, small developing countries that say in the caribbean uh how should we uh, uh hope to 
to to I don't know be in charge of of, of keeping our own uh, citizens' data safe, of, of making sure that there are rules that apply uh, to these companies in terms of how they moderate content uh, when we're so small and often so insignificant, uh, situated in the middle of the Caribbean. Uh, Ms. Nathaniel, Mrs. Nathaniel, sorry. Um, you you said something very significant and you talked about first world countries and the truth is that there is some level of power that um, larger countries especially where these social media platforms are located the headquarters are located they have a lot more power in terms of regulating monitoring um, implementing things um, circuit breakers when things happen you know viral content and all these kinds of stuff um i'm not too sure what we can do as a small um twin island state um but i do know that there must be a conversation if not at our level but at the level of caricom um perhaps if we begin really looking at the negative impacts of social media if we begin looking at or even if we begin really listening to um some of the information that came out from the whistleblower recently i mean perhaps it's it's time for us to start a conversation about how as islands um, within the caribbean we can come together to try to regulate monitor but i mean i'm not a techie guru uh, so I would know all of, of the terms that, that are associated with that. But perhaps at that level, that discussion might be, I guess, more powerful. Miss mm. uh, Marisha Duncan, uh, that question of regulation. I think that's an important question. And as Mrs. Nathaniel stated, as uh, CARICOM, we need, to get, we need to come together and have conversations. Um, on the community level, that's important. But on the individual level, as parents, as guardians, as persons who um, consume social media, I think we can, for ourselves, do things. There are apps, block site, custodian for your children's devices, where you can curate and regulate and monitor the use of devices. And in terms of just strategies, there are there are so many strategies. You know, limit your time, limit your interaction on on these sites as well as just living in the moment enrich your relationships via conversation um have you know dinners have where persons have to leave their devices because really you see relationships now being affected negatively affected by the excessive use of social media that compulsive use of social media where parents are unable to talk to their children spouses have issues where persons have hidden lives double profiles hidden um, chats hidden apps so i think the need to really be truthful to oneself and to ask your family members you know am i too addictive to social media um is it excessive mm -hmm. understand that you know you are you are human and it affects us all differently some people can manage their social media content others can't but to really try to get ways and means of escaping social media through hobbies through baking you know um listening to music there are many ways that you can try to get yourself away from social media and um just a just a way that i mm -hmm. that i do in terms of you know coping with social media unfollow unfriend block any content that you know does not allow you to be your best self go ahead and block these contents unfriend unfollow or just just delete the app it's going to help you it's going to allow you to be a better person mm -hmm. 
Mm. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Mr. Omar Byron, um, very quickly, your, your take on this issue of regulation. Yeah, but I, unfortunately, I'm a little bit more cynical about the ability for governments um, and government bodies such as CARICOM to regulate um, anything that has to do with the internet. The internet by nature was built to be <laughs> difficult to, to for any one person to regulate. I think it's much more effective to um, the previous panelists. I think that was Ms. Duncan. Um, she talked about self-regulation um, at the community and at the parental level. Um, I think that's much more effective. I think parents need to be on top of their children in terms of what they're viewing. Um, I'm of the personal belief that personal like smartphone devices and widespread access to the internet should happen after a certain age, you know, whether it be 12, 13, 14, um, because we have to recognize that these apps are designed by nature to be addictive. And there's nothing that a, a seven-year-old can do to prevent themselves to not being addicted. So um, I, my, my opinion is um, regulation at the parental level, um, very much like how we used to do back in the day, what TV shows you were watching, parental controls, you know, video games, that kind of thing. This, those same um, principles can be applied here. Uh, and finally, Mrs. Therese Millet-Joseph, your take on this question of regulation. I absolutely agree with what uh, what Ms. Duncan said and also with what uh, Mr. Barron stated just now. Um, I think the internet by nature was designed uh, for it to be um, very difficult to regulate and uh, and so I think the onus is going to be on caretakers, on parents, on educators, on you know, on, on teachers, etc., um, to assist with this regulation process. And I think that um, ultimately it will always boil right, right back down to that because there is no going back where it comes to the internet and social media. I think we can we can go ahead and, and confidently say that going back is not an option. There are things that are available or were available to us as children that were not available to our parents. And we never had a discussion about whether or not we should go back. What we did instead is we learned how to manage and to navigate um, the advancements that were available. And that is what we have to continue to do as adults um, and, and, and as human beings in general, because another generation coming after us is going to have access to even more than we have access to now. And we we are not going to have a conversation about going back then either. We are going to learn to navigate. We're going to adapt. We're going to adjust. And we're going to do whatever is necessary to ensure that we are making choices that serve and support our wellness, both our physical and our mental wellness. And that is all that, that is within our power to do. And so um, I think that's where the regulation situation is going to come right back down to. And with that, we can end this segment here. I say thank you to all four of our guests. We were joined by Mrs. Therese Miller-Joseph. She is a counseling psychologist. Uh, we were joined as well by Mrs. Mar Ms. Marisha Duncan. Uh, she's a PhD student currently at the University of the West Indies, St. Augustine. Uh, we were joined by Mrs. Robin Joseph Nathaniel. She's a teacher here in Antigua and Barbuda. And finally, we were joined by Mr. Curtis Omar Byron. He's an IT and finance professional working in the United States. An Antiguan and Barbudan, uh, he's also a violinist known by his stage name with Dadley Strings. Uh, thanks to all four of you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you.